Warning, this episode contains spoilers, coarse language, and... You could see the string that was there to pull the bra open, and it was like, why? Why do you kind of pull the bra open at that moment? I hate remakes. I love remakes. Welcome, everybody, to part two of the latest episode of I Hate Love Remakes. I am Noel. Joining me, as always, is Evie. Cat people. Cat people. People they are who the are cat-ish. People cats and stuff and things. And say meow. And I didn't actually have any lyrics beyond cat people, but I don't care. The end. I want to see a montage from this remake of just scenes of cat carnage over meow, 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 meow. Meow, 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 meow. Someone get on that, YouTube. Meow mix. For when human flesh is... When human flesh just won't do. Yes. So anyways, joining us once again, Kaylee. Hello again. And we are on part two where we are going to... Evie, what are we covering? We're covering Cat People from 1982, which is the year I was born. So Same here. I'm sorry. Give it another eight years, then it's me. Damn whippersnappers. <laughs> Nine days, I turned 22. It's been about 30 years, so by Clash of the Titans time, that means this is due for another remake. No, stop, stop it, stop it. This is not funny, no. Oh, I'd be curious to see what they would do with a remake of this with Miley Cyrus and... Oh, God. <laughs> no, I will hang up on Miley this call. Miley Cyrus and Channing Tatum. I will hang up on this call, no. The whole point of remakes is just to add synth music and boobs, and this one already did that. That's true. So, anyways, yes, the 1982 remake of Cat People, written by Alan Ormsby and directed by Paul Schrader. Alan Ormsby went on to write great films like The Substitute and The Substitute 2 <laughs> and Porky's 2 The Next Day and Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things and Deranged Confessions of a Necrophile <laughs> oh, yeah, and The Little is- Dragons. Oh, God, The Little Dragons. <laughs> Yeah, no, this guy's clearly just genius. The Little Dragons, the three ninjas of the 70s. But then the script was rewritten by director Paul Schrader, who is one of the titans of screenwriting in the 70s and 80s. I mean, this is the dude who kind of burst onto the scene with Taxi Driver. And by his own admission, he was really high when he was filming this. He was, yes. Paul Schrader is a very fascinating writer and director in terms of almost everything he does is both very unpleasant yet very captivating. His two films as a writer that I've seen are Taxi Driver and The Last Temptation of Christ. I really love Last Temptation of Christ. Taxi Driver is just so unpleasant, but it is well made. And his two films as a director that I've seen are this and Autofocus. Oh, and Patty Hearst. And I find them very captivating films, but also very unpleasant films. He is kind of inconsistent because he does do some really great ones. But then you've got something like Dominion, the prequel to The Exorcist. His version of it I haven't seen yet. I've only seen the Rennie Harlan version. Because when you think, let's improve our movie, you think Rennie Harlan? I still haven't even seen the original Exorcist yet. I, I love that we're talking about anything but yeah. the remake <laughs> of We've got an entire people. chunk here that's probably going to end up on the cutting room floor. A little over a decade after the foster system tore them apart following the deaths of their parents, Irina Gallier and her brother Paul meet at his home in New Orleans. That same night, he goes missing around the time a prostitute and her john are mauled by a black leopard, which is quickly caught by authorities and brought to the local zoo with the help of zoologists Oliver Yates and Alice Perrin. 
Visiting the zoo the next day, Irina finds herself drawn to the leopard and charmed by the instantly interested Oliver who gets her a job at a nearby gift shop. Soon after, the leopard kills another zoologist and escapes, and Paul confronts Irina, telling her they're both cat people, and only having sex with another cat person will prevent her from turning into a leopard and killing her partner. She escapes the incestuous Paul into the arms of Oliver, only to experience the animal side as she becomes sexually attracted to the human. She even terrifies Alice a few times out of jealousy over Oliver. Paul is killed when he tries to attack Oliver, and when Irina gives into her feelings and has sex with the human, she flees the house as she transforms. Oliver is called by the police to a bridge where a leopard is trapped. Realizing it's Irina, he follows the leopard to his lake house, where she's regained human form after having killed the caretaker. The two admit their love for one another and consummate it one last time after Paul ties Irina down to the bed. Later, we see him at the zoo, seemingly in a relationship with Alice, but constantly finding his attention drawn back to a cage housing a newly added black leopard. Evie, do you recommend this movie? <laughs> yes, but with a very specific caveat. This is the movie that I would watch on my Saturday Night Bad Movie Fest. Because it sort of does what another movie that we will watch at some point, which I will address then, does, which is it takes all of the sort of complexities of the original and then it boils them down to their lowest common denominator and kind of just slaps them on the screen. And it lacks subtlety. It's just it, leopard magic orgasm transforming powers. <laughs> there, I said it. There you go. That, that's it. Although I do think that Anastasia Kinski carries herself very well in the movie, considering what she is doing. And also, Noel, I wanted to thank you. I am now someone who has seen Clark Kent's mom's boobs. <laughs> if any your bucket list now. You can tell this is a movie in the early 80s because, first of all, there is so much full frontal female nudity and it's just like for no reason. I think Ruby D is the only woman in the cast who we don't see topless at some point. Yeah. Just like, yes, no, we know you have breasts. That's great. Well, I also got to see the dad from Home Alone's ass. Ooh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, my recommendation is watch it as a bad movie like Glitter or Crossroads or something like that. It's a little bit better than those, but not by much. Okay. Kaylee, do you recommend this movie? I do recommend it. I actually really, really like this. I didn't think I would when I first watched it because my image in my head was, oh God, it's a 1980s remake. It's just going to be ridiculously camp and lurid and over the top and there's going to be more synths than you know what to do with. And a lot of that stuff is in there, but I think it works surprisingly well. I like that he's tried something new with it. If you have to go crazy, I don't see why you shouldn't go all out crazy, but he still takes himself just seriously enough. And I love Malcolm McDowell because he's crazy and creepy. It's just, it's nowhere near as camp as I thought it would be. I had this image of it just being completely awful. And it wasn't. And I, there's so, I mean, there is the, oh, just a sec, uh, ambulance. I'm really worried about the state of Edinburgh streets now. There's so many cars. Anyway, um, what Evie said as well, it does sort of get rid of all of the subtleties. But if you're going to do that, you have to go all out. And I think the film does. And I give it kudos for that. But it is basically magical voodoo in hand for man-eating, ass-showing, full frontal nudity crazy with David Bowie. And I feel like David Bowie makes everything better. Yes. And unlike a children's film, you don't get to see his package. <laughs> yeah, you know what, you guys? I gotta go watch Labyrinth for science or something. <laughs> Whatever. I, I don't care. I don't even, I don't even care. I'm gonna go How watch else that. were girls in the 1980s supposed to find out there were differences between men and women? <laughs> exactly. 
Well, especially when you have someone who's so androgynous. To then put on that massive display of masculinity within a Jim Henson film, I almost expected it to be a puppet. And sing its own song? Yes. <laughs> this little dimple appears as a mouth and it just starts singing. Um, <laughs> anywho. So no. yeah, I... I <laughs> You can't blame me for being me. Um, no, no. I was just going to say, like, end your recommendation. So, yes, I recommend this movie as well. It has no subtlety, and it's very trashy, and it's very kind of over the top, but it doesn't feel like unintentional silly camp. It feels very intentional. Like, it knows it's trashy and over the top. It's got a purpose to it. It revels in it, too. And it does feel like it has a purpose to it. It is very separate from the original film which I appreciate. It doesn't deal with all the same thing. I mean, it deals with some of the same struggles and themes and whatnot, but in a very different way, and it adds a whole bunch of new layers to the stuff that it's dealing with. And it's very well made. I thought it was very nicely put together, very nicely shot and edited. The synth score just creates this nice atmosphere to everything. You get the great David Bowie song at the end. The imagery of the leopards, and especially the leopards on the tree, is just this magnificent image. The nudity, it's a very naked movie, but I thought it was very, it was used very well for the themes that it was covering. It's a film where you kind of appreciate that everyone was game for it because it does kind of go into some very oddball places. But it's a Paul Schrader movie. It's very unpleasant, but it's very captivating. And of course, it stars Malcolm McDowell, who's both very unpleasant and captivating. So they were a match made in heaven. Also, he has a nice ass. He has a nice ass, too. My issue with it is... When it tries to recapture the original, like there's the entire pursuit down the street followed by the pool scene, the film just kind of drops dead because yeah, it just, agreed. it feels like it's trying to recapture the original instead of just being its own thing. And we'll get into that in more detail, but when it's being its own thing, its own examination of the story, I think it's a really good, interesting examination of the story. It's not something I'd recommend to everyone like I would the original, but it is something I would recommend. This was my first time watching it, and I actually found myself really enjoying it a lot more than I expected it to. Anyways, let's go ahead and move into open discussion. Well, I love the whole thing about the 1942 movie is it's about the fear of sex and the fear of intimacy. And here it's just taken to the completely crazier level because it's not just about fear of intimacy, it's about ancestral intimacy. Yes, and it's that the only people that cat people can have sex with is each other. And the fact that when all you have left are siblings, the only people who you can have sex with without killing is your own sibling. Wait, so when that woman in that restaurant, when she comes up and calls Irena her sister, yeah. like she meant literally? Yeah, that was a thread that I'm not sure why that yeah, was that there. That was one of those things that they took from the original and it was just like, wait, so is she her sister? It's like if Paul is like, well, there's no one else, there's none of our kind else around. Well, boom, there's one who's hanging around in the restaurants in your area. Yeah. Also, I have a question, right? Because it's like, it seems to be not when they have sex, but when they have an orgasm. And I'm like, wait, so does that also count when they masturbate that they turn into a leopard person? Well, you know, that's what I didn't get. I could understand like, you know, the thrill of the sex triggering the change. But Irena, she has sex and then she's just laying there and then mm -hmm. she goes into the other room and then she comes back and then she changes. Yeah. There's a really good transformation scene as well. Although there's oh, this yeah. long close-up on her boobs shrinking. It's like, I get that you like the nudity shredder, but, you know, move on. The retractable boobs. I like that shot. <laughs> I like when so her uh, nails actually, like, you get the idea that she's going to start yeah. the transformation because she completely, like, destroys that part of the comforter with just her nails. Well, I mean, that was like that great bit in the original one where Simone Simone just runs her fingers along the couch and shreds it. Mm -hmm. I think the makeup of the transformation, I mean, this is very much a post-American werewolf in London style transformation. Mm -hmm. The cat claws popping out of their knuckles and whatnot. 
It's an interesting contrast from American Werewolf in London, where that one is very loud and screaming and agonizingly painful. This one is very stealth. To a nice quiet pop song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then just popping through the skin. I found really cool. And then they shed that layer of skin, which then kind of liquefies. I guess. I almost wish that it didn't, because that would actually be more interesting, is if they just leave these shed skins lying around. And everyone's just like, what is with these husks? Instead, it just kind of melts into like this little vomit puddle. Yeah. Malcolm McDowell goes ahead and eats some of his own skin. Yeah. Uh, well, that later... bit of the autopsy where he, um, Macaulay Culkin's dad in Home Alone cuts open the... Yeah, John Hurt. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. He was actually a leading man at one point. <laughs> You can see it. He is quite handsome. <laughs> yes, between this and Chud, he was quite the leading man. He's um, coping the leopard and then the arm pops out. That was so funny. Effective. That was effective, but then it melts. It just yeah, magically mel- just, goes away. The smoke and the melting felt very sort of, that was very 80s, and I felt like that was a bit much. But once again, if you're going to go all out, you go all out. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking that they were going to find the body of Paul in there, and then it would just be like, oh, well, that just means the leopard ate Paul. Whereas he's like, no, 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 that means that Paul was the leopard, but then everyone else is like, no, no, that just means he ate Paul. Uh, he ate him whole. Well, no, I could see people trying to rationalize it and write it off as that in terms well, of... Well, how else would you write it off? I mean, your, exactly. your logical conclusion wouldn't be, ah, yes, he's actually turned into that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wish that they had kept playing with that instead of just, oh, he just magically poofs into a thing of smoke that why didn't he dissolve when he first died? Why did it take so long? And the thing is, I love because originally the first scene is when we have that hooker going to that room and that stuff that she keeps like touching on the bed. And I'm like, is that supposed to be like leopard spunk? (laughs) Is that supposed uh, like, uh, I'm just like, there's that mystery as to what it is, but then they just kind of gradually reveal that, Oh, it's like whenever they turn the old version kind of liquefies. So for the longest part of the movie, I was like, Oh, was their spunk? <laughs> it would have made perfect sense to just find like this shed skin, and people are like, "Oh, the leopard ate the John," you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, we forgot the most important part, which is that it starts out with this really awesome music video. Yes, the music video in Africa or wherever this is. I believe Africa, even though most everyone is white except the one guy. Yeah. Of uh, let's lead the women to get fucked by the leopards, and this one, the leopards actually have sex with women. Okay. Yeah. When he says later on that, you know, they feed on the soul, like they would give the children as a sacrifice and that they would feed on them and their souls would grow in leopards. I'm like, that leopard, when I watched the movie and they like, that girl walks into that leopard's like cavern thing. And I'm like, that leopard's going to fuck That's not to be her, isn't it? No. Yeah. I'm like, that leopard's going to fuck her, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> That's not the look of someone who is going to be eaten by a leopard. And of course, she's in a translucent, fully see-through dress because Schrader has every woman naked. I mean, Irena. Does Irena own a top that isn't translucent? Does she own a bra? <laughs> it's just... <laughs> you can tell it's the 80s because they weren't wearing bras. I know. It's it's the 80s. It's Schrader. Boobs are visible aplenty. <laughs> it's, it's just, yeah. it's kind of ridiculous. It okay, I know from my review you wouldn't get that I like this movie, but seriously, this movie is like deliciously processed cheese. Well, and I, I mean, love that's, it. That's, it revels in its trashiness. It yeah. knows, I mean, that's what I love about uh, the Patty Hearst movie and Autofocus is <laughs> they're so trashy, but they revel in it. And there is actually intelligent stuff going on beneath the trashiness, but the trashiness is still so entertaining enough on its own that it's so fun to watch. So where were we? Um, <laughs> the, the skin melting. <laughs> yeah, it melts. I, I, I got nothing. Yeah, it's an odd bit, but I, I like the transformation. And I love how I say this. Yeah, if you're going to get a brother who wants to have sex with his sister, Malcolm McDowell is who you cast. You really couldn't have cast yes, anyone else. It's a combination of everything he does well, which is being really creepy, slightly incestuous, and a bit rapey. 
and yet still captivating and you love watching him. True that. Very few people can pull that off and he can pull it off. And yet you get this understanding of why he longs for it. Even just great moments like when he picks up the blonde at the funeral and mm -hmm. he has the moment of erectile dysfunction until then she gets him up and then he kills her. I can't get a read from Malcolm McDowell on that one because he says that he cares about her. And I'm like, is he? You can tell that he's getting tired of this. He's been so looking forward to Irena coming so he won't have to keep slaughtering people. Mm -hmm. he's kind of sick and tired of it but he'll still do it mm -hmm. and then you know when he ends up doing it and then he wakes up and he sees the body he's just kind of like yeah well that happened i love the reveal of the body too because you don't see it right yeah, the away pan across like, the room yeah, yeah. Well, remembering as well his character is a minister yeah but then we find out that he's been killing so many people in that whole cell that he has in the basement where he just chains himself up and feeds on people it's interesting the idea that you can only turn back into a human when you kill, even though the film contradicts that with the pool scene where Irena suddenly turns back into a human without killing anybody. There must be the pool boy off stage who got really unlucky. <laughs> well, either that or she just as a human could make those noises, I guess. Or that she never... Well, no, because we see the leopard running in the park alongside Alice. Yeah, then I, yeah she probably just like slaughtered someone. It's like someone said, oh, by the way, don't forget that running and pool scene and Paul Schrader just kind of face palming and going, oh, crap, I got to squeeze that in. Maybe it was because she slaughtered Annette O'Toole's sweater. <laughs> um, <laughs> that it, looks you know, so funny. I'm like, you guys, that, that's not what it would look. Yeah, what the hell? Yeah, it, it's a the pool sequence actually isn't poorly done. It just unfortunately has the whole distraction of Annette O'Toole just suddenly is topless for no reason. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's still a really well-constructed sequence with all the sounds and the lights and everything and the pool water and whatnot. And they didn't stick any music over it, which was good. But it just, it keeps having this, by the way, Annette Tools boobs, you know? it. Yeah. He wanted to show Annette Tools boobs. We get that, but you didn't need to build, <laughs> you didn't need to distract an entire scene with the fact that you wanted to show Annette Tools boobs. Yeah, it's like, yep, we've seen her boobs, you guys. They're very nice boobs. Okay, now can we just focus on the scary scene? Could we not have let her put on a swimsuit before she jumped in, you know? Yeah. Could she not have just, like, left a t-shirt on or her bra? Right. Could Clark not have shown up and punched the leopard? Um, <laughs> the big problem with that scene is it feels like it's been forced in. It doesn't feel like he completely knows what he wants to do with it. And then there's that whole bit of Irena changes when she's not supposed to be able to change. And you could, like, take that entire sequence out. You could just take the entire pool scene out and just have the panther running alongside her, which isn't as great as the scene where she's being stalked in the original, but it still works. Yeah, it and... does feel very shoehorned in. I do think you could probably remove that entire sequence and nothing else would change. It just feels like he felt sort of obligation to pay homage to the original material, or maybe it was part of the sort of studio mandate or something. It just doesn't work as well. Dramatically, you do need the moment where Alice contacts... Is it still Oliver? Is it Ben? Or, um, it's, yeah, no, it's still he's Oliver. an Oliver. It's still Oliver. He's where, still Oliver. Where she contacts Oliver and says, by the way, she's you know stalking me because that then makes him get some realization. So dramatically, I think some sequence needed to be there. I just don't think this one was put together that well. Or well, it, she gets that, but at the same time, like she shows up and he's just like, okay, so we're going to have sex now. Yeah, that's the thing is then as he realizes things, instead of like being terrified of her, or he seems to be terrified of her at first, and then there's even the bit where he finds one of his oldest, dearest friends mangled in the tree, and then he's like, well, I can't shoot you, so I'm going to fuck you. As you do. And the whole tying her down to the bed scene and whatnot. It's a very much a Paul Schrader sequence, but mm -hmm. it's, uh, those scenes actually work for me, though, because it feels like this really oddball, trashy thing that 
a completely off the wall way of pushing this thing in a way that still speaks to these characters and their feelings for each other. It's just the whole pool sequence was just so much about we got to take off another tool's top, which completely ruins the focus of the scene. I'm imagining Paul Schrader had an entire book filled of ways to get women to creatively take their clothes off in film, and he just sort of gave up at an interview and said, oh, just take off. Right. I mean, like, there are scenes like the bit where uh, Natasha Kinski is in the woods, where it actually works because it is her stripping herself back down to a primal state and getting the senses Mm -hmm. and tracking the rabbit and whatnot. There it works. The scenes where she's seducing Oliver, it works. But the scene where Annette Toole is just... And, like, there's also the scene with the prostitute, where the prostitute is still wearing her underwear until she hits the bottom of the stairs and bam, her bra pops open. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's it, it, you could see the string that was there to pull the bra open. And it was like, why? Why do you kind of pull the bra open at that moment? Well, I and, guess because back then the MPAA weren't quite so no over the full frontal female nudity. So they were like, we can get away with it. Let's go. Yeah, it would be about another three years before then they started to crack down and everything. But Optimus Prime pulling out another robot spinal column. That's fine. <laughs> Just so we're clear on that MPAA. There's no yeah. blood. That's why it doesn't count. It feels like he gets a little too lost at times in terms of, oh, by the way, boobs. In conclusion, boobs. Yeah, it's like, could he have at least shown a few more male ass shots to make up for it? To be honest, both John Hurt and Malcolm McDowell have very lovely asses. Yeah. Uh, why couldn't Ed Bagley Jr. have stripped down? Actually, I like the fact that you have at one point when um, Irene is going up the stairs and she and Oliver are going to have sex. And it sort of mirrors that scene when Malcolm McDowell went up the stairs to watch her sleep the first time. Yeah. And I actually like that we're seeing that entire thing from Oliver's point of view. Mm -hmm. As she's looking straight into the camera as we're going upstairs. This film, I actually really love the way that it's shot and the way that it's put together. It's a very well-constructed film. Schrader actually constructs his stuff very nicely. I think there's some really well done set pieces and I love the setting here as well. I mean, the zoo I think is done particularly well here. So I ended up looking up the actual zoo and just sort of reading up on its history and the sort of derelict, sort of crumbling ashes of these miserable animals behind cages I think works very well. Yeah, and it's definitely an old zoo because I think even by the 80s they didn't let you get that close to bars. Yeah. I mean, even the original film has that divider before mm-hmm. you get to the bars and the bars actually have meshes between them too. So the only space for a pod to go in is, is underneath. Because it's pretty easy to get up close to it. Like, there's a whole picture of people standing in front of the cages getting their photos taken. I'm just waiting for, like, a lion paw to come out and maul them. Be like, Mom, I'm going to eat you now. Yeah. Yeah, well, they built that on a soundstage, though, didn't they? Uh, no, I think that was an actually an, an old zoo that was no longer running. Oh, okay. I thought it was... Kaylee, you said you looked up the zoo? Yeah, it's still running, but they did major renovations to it. After the movie or before? After the movie, I think it was about the mid-80s they started. They might have shot this movie there when they shut it down for the renovations, or to start that. Because that's usually where, when they film stuff like this, they usually (laughs) look for what's going through renovations, because they usually have to shut it down or shut a chunk of it down for a while. Or what's going to be demoed. It makes sense that it has since been heavily renovated, because no, those cages are not up to code these days. I'm guessing I'm a lot of people died, and they were like, maybe we should do something. <laughs> yes. Should we do something? We should do something. Yes, once you get to, like, Ed Bagley's arm being eaten off, then, then yes, you can see why they don't do cages like that anymore. Yeah, they started according to uh, they started doing the renovations around the late 70s, so they were probably going on while this was being filmed. Okay, So they yeah. either reconstructed a set, or they did actually just sort of go to a closed-off area of it. That makes a lot of sense. And then they probably just brought in those animals for a few days or something to shoot those sequences. 
What I love is that Irena has just been standing outside this cage an hour and a half after closing time, and nobody's noticed until now. Until he just happens to walk by a window. It's like, yeah. usually they have people who just do a quick round of the grounds and see if anyone's there. Apparently nobody did. They're already locking up and going home. <laughs> I assume derelict zoo means that the staff just have stopped caring by that point. Like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll leave her. It might entertain the animal a little bit. I will say this. I love the moments where Irina like gets like superpowers. Mm-hmm. Like there's that moment she where she like suddenly runs up the tree or like that moment where she does the flip over the balcony. I love how yeah. no one really seems to notice or care. Like when she's up in the tree and John Howard's just like, oh, hello, are you going to come down? Yeah. How did you get up there so fast? <laughs> I love that. I almost wanted to see an alternate version where, like, a cat person becomes, like, a vigilante of the night. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Roaming the streets of New well, Orleans. I would Catman, isn't it? That. <laughs> yeah. That's the reason why Catman has never had sex. Because <laughs> then he'll start eating people. <laughs> but until then, he has pouncing abilities. But yes, it's, um... Yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> I do like the fact that when she's climbing out of the tree, they don't do the obvious trope of having her trip and fall into his arms. Yeah. Well, I think that's become more of an obvious trope through 90s romantic comedies. Ugh. I actually really like the chemistry between those two. John Hurd, he never really had a whole ton of leading man films, but I thought he actually did a really good job here. Natasha Kinski, I think, did a very good job, and I think the two of them actually did click well together. Mm-hmm. You can see both the initial sweet attraction, and then as it goes on, you can see the kind of darker, more twisted attraction that continues on. They have the appropriate level of heat for the relationship to work, especially in this sort of film. Yes, and I actually really like where the film ended, in that it ended in a very unexpected way. I didn't expect that it would end with him tying her down, having sex with her, and then she becomes the new display at the zoo. Mm-hmm. I thought he was going to start feeding people to her to keep bringing her back, but no, apparently not. Kept the donor ending. Does she need to eat people? Because, I mean, she ate that one rabbit and seemed fine. Yeah. That was actually a great moment of the bit where he turns on the light and she's like, don't look at me, and smashes it away. Mm-hmm. Great image. <laughs> at the end when I'm watching it, and I'm like, he wants to fuck that leopard. I was <laughs> 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 just watching it. Like, he wants to fuck that leopard. Yes, he's hoping to change because then he'll get what he really wants. <laughs> It's like, you know, that's going to be very uncomfortable. Because I'm 12. You know, leopards can't really spread their legs out like that. So that's going to be a very <laughs> uncomfortable... I hope that leopard doesn't like dislocated shoulder as it's turning. Yeah. That's going to be a very uncomfortable position for her to transform into. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's of course, let's have the slowly tying her down scene. And my problem is that she has this whole bit where she chooses the animal self. You know, she's like, I want to be with my own kind. But we, she never gets to be with her own kind, except with Paul. And I almost wanted a scene of her with... She doesn't even have a scene where she's just with the cats, you know, with, with the cats in the zoo, you know, experiencing life among her own kind. She never has that moment of connection where you can see why she wants to go that route. Yeah, it's true. I can understand her making that choice if that's what she chooses, but I need the setup to bring her there. It feels like there's like a moment missing in between. Does that make sense? I just sort of assumed that she chose that so that she wouldn't have to live with the sort of constant crippling guilt of trying to juggle desire with having to eat people. So she only wanted to change back that one time. I guess. Is that what you mean? Yeah, kind of. Make me a leopard and then just leave me a leopard so I don't have to kill anyone? Unless, yeah, you know, she, she kills someone. That makes sense. And because if she's living in a zoo, then they're giving her pre-killed food, so it's not like she has to kill anything. That would actually make sense. But it would kind of a sad life. 
know, that's why I like the ending for being such a downer and sticking to the downer ending of the original. I don't know how you can spin incestual crazy cat lady sex frill frontal nudity into a happy ending. I'm sure Paul Schrader mm-hmm. has found many dreams to fix that, but... That actually makes a lot of sense. No, that actually is a good reason for her making that choice and then a very honest depiction of then what the consequences of that choice are. Woo, I made an intelligent point. Well, you often do. <laughs> Better in writing than speaking, I'm afraid. You're much angrier when you write. You're much more fun when you write. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even started. <laughs> but yeah, then what happened to that cat woman in the bar? Yeah. Like, that again, it feels like he's putting it in just because it was in the original. And it's like, there's so much more you could do with that angle. I'm kind of shocked you didn't. Yeah. Because, I mean, you think that that, when that would open up like this entire community, but then why are they all living here instead of spread out all over the earth? I don't Maybe that was something that he intended to do, but they couldn't budget wise and whatnot. Considering how widely he sort of throws off the shackles of the original and does his own thing, when he is sort of restrained to what the original does, I think it really limits the film. Right. As with the pool scene, it ends up kind of contradicting itself. I'm almost wondering if there might have been a producer that was like, no, no, you can't cut that. You can't cut that. You got to keep that in. Well, it was Jerry Bruckheimer. Yeah, this is a Bruckheimer film where the only explosions are people's shirts flying off. And in their pants. (laughs) Booyah. Yeah, as soon as I saw Bruckheimer's name, I was like, there's going to be a fireball every 10 minutes in there. (laughs) I'm sure he wanted to add some dramatic sound effects whenever a shirt flew off. (laughs) Popping the buttons. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, at least Michael Bay didn't direct it. Oh, God. Don't give him ideas. Yeah, don't. No. Jerry Bruckheimer, Michael Bay. With Linkin Park covering David Bowie. I wonder which underwear model he's going to get to star in that one. I'm sure holding casting sessions right now. Mm-hmm. Quote, unquote, casting sessions. Yeah. And then Shia LaBeouf. Uh... Oh, but you couldn't have Shia LaBeouf do a remake of Cat People. He's nowhere near demented enough to do a Malcolm McDowell. No, I don't think he... anyone is. There is no one to... Maybe just get Malcolm McDowell to do it again. I don't think he's doing anything. Or that guy who was like in I Am Number 4. Oh, God, well, that kid is horrible. So anyways, cat people. <laughs> they're people, they're cats. Other than the pool sequence, I actually did like Annette O'Toole a lot in the movie. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, she feels... It's a relationship that's not allowed to come to its eventual conclusion like it was in the original because they instead decide to go off in that different direction. So I it think kind it had of, really interesting potential for her to have this really interesting friendship with Irina, but they never really fully developed on that. Yeah, you get the yeah. one great scene where they're sitting in the bar talking about being molested by parental figures. <laughs> As <laughs> you do when you first met someone. God knows that's what I do when I first meet someone. So did he overhand or underhand? It's like, uh, what? <laughs> where did that Actual come life. from? I just assume that all questions about the nature of the song can be answered with it by Polster. Yes. Oh, yeah, it's Paul Schrader. Um, <laughs> a wizard did it. Well, granted, you know, this is the guy who wrote Jodie Foster's 12-year-old prostitute, so... To be fair, he just wrote a 12-year-old prostitute. They cast Jodie Foster. I know. And she was damn good as that. She was, but it's Paul Schrader. Yeah, Annette O'Toole is... One of the other fascinating things is I don't believe there's a style of braid that she didn't have in this film. It's true. It's like every scene she is, she has her hair braided in a completely different way. It's like, that's how we're exploring her character, is she likes to experiment with braidings. I don't have anything else to add to that. It was just a funny observation. Her character feels like a setup in search of a conclusion, and she never really gets a conclusion. Yeah. Because of the way they take the story. Yeah, she is, like, the second choice. And it's very obvious she's the second choice. 
Right. This one, it does try to do the whole thing of their friends, but she has real feelings for him, and they probably would have become a couple if this hadn't happened, but it did happen. But then it doesn't go anywhere eventually. She gets attacked, and then she's just kind of hanging around for a few scenes. And then you only see her again at the end, where suddenly they're just good friends and co-workers again. Yeah. And then Ed Bagley is a red shirt. Poor Ed Bagley. I love the scene where he's going in and watching the soap opera with the chimp. Mm-hmm. Or, or with the orangutan. Evie, did you recognize the guy in the soap opera? No. Ray Wise. Oh. I was like, is that Ray Wise? And then they go to the credits. It was Ray Wise as <laughs> soap opera guy, his credits. As, as you would. Yeah. I had that reaction when our cat turned up. I was like, oh, I know who that is. Yeah, John Lowe just shows up for a scene. Yeah, I completely forgot. But yeah, he's in that. And it's like, oh my God. <laughs> and it's like, if only we had listened to John Larroquette when he said, why don't we euthanize the leopard? His entire point is to come up and show the thing that people ignore. Wah, wah. <laughs> John Larroquette, the voice of reason. Yes, John Larroquette. <laughs> He's always right, you guys. You know, I could understand them trying to keep the leopard alive when it, like, eats someone's foot. And that was what happened in the original script was it actually ate her foot. She wouldn't just get clawed. I'm guessing they ran out of makeup money. Mm-hmm. But I actually do like that scene there where it's trapped in the room and they're having to try to trank it from the window. Especially the bit where John Hurd like almost falls off the ladder and then suddenly turns all ninja warrior as he pulls yeah, himself back like, up. Yeah, he's like, I'm gonna climb up on this ladder because I'm awesome. Parkour. <laughs> <laughs> they just parkour in the square of the university, which is across from where I live, and they're not very good. So there are some days where I just sit with my lunch and watch really bad parkour. Anyway. <laughs> Anyways, tangent. Cat people, anything else we want to mention? Yeah, there's one bit where the prostitute comes in and she's giving her an entire sort of spiel of, yeah, it cost you this and this. And then she sits on the bed, she has a sort of feeling the leopard skin jizz thing. And then there's, she sees the tail under the bed and she sort of kicks at it. And then the tail starts moving. It's like, you need to run. You're so not she just kicks playing again, with the mysterious yeah. tail under the bed. Yeah. Just run, run, go, quickly. Okay, just stay there, fine, just stay there. Yeah, she kicks get it easy. again until the bed starts moving and she gets yanked under it. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> What I liked about that scene was that she didn't get killed and the leopard got caught. Yeah. It felt like a very unusual way for a scene like that to go. That, oh crap, Paul just ended up getting himself caught and zooed. One thing they never explained is how did he get out of the cell? Um, magic? When he killed Ed Bagley, of course, that would turn him back into human. But then how did he get out of the cell? He just slid between the bars. How did they not just show up and there's a guy there, you know? Yeah. The cell door was unlocked, but how did he unlock it? Uh, he had a key that he stole. Okay. Did Ed Bagley's arm have a key on it? Actually, it might have. You don't know. Uh, yeah, maybe he took it from Ed Bagley's belt and was just using the, oh, by the way, I ripped off your arm as a distraction. Yeah, could be. They'll never notice that I got the key now. You know, I didn't <laughs> grab it with any opposable thumbs or anything. But anyways. I assumed everyone else was just far too distracted to care by that point. I like how sudden that was. Of, mm-hmm. You know, like, he's strapping on the cattle prod. Is this going to be a scene about commentary on cruelty to animals and whatnot? And, oh, crap, it just ripped his arm off. Arm rip. It actually kind of caught me by surprise. I liked it. Considering how massively gory and lurid it could have been, when he uses gore, he uses it well. Yes. Yeah. And who doesn't like a good mm-hmm. arm ripping scene? <laughs> it's true. And that's true of Paul Schrader, too, is when he uses gore. I mean, like, there's the whole ending of Taxi Driver. Autofocus has the whole ending of the murder of what's-his-name, and it presents it in a very blunt and honest way that doesn't feel exploitative. I love the music in this movie. Oh, yeah, it's brilliant. 80s synth cannot age well, but I thought this one, it just has that kind of moody atmosphere to it. It does have a bit of that New Orleans blues to it. And then you get to that great David Bowie song at the end. 
because I hadn't seen cat people before, all I could think of was Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastard. So I'm like going, Shushan is not putting on her makeup. Why are we doing this now, movie? I don't understand. Yeah. There's that one part after the brother dies, she gets the whole backstory dream when she's on the train. And I'm just like, synth music, music video. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's so silly, though. It was so silly, but it was so, again, reveling in it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it yeah. knew it was silly. So it was just like, we're just going to make this as silly as we fucking can. And like Malcolm McDowell's without a shirt telling her all about everything. And we see the leopards up in the trees. And yeah. <laughs> At least we didn't see the knight with the sword. He's got his shirt off, and I'm like, okay, well, you did a couple of crunches. Not enough, but you did a couple. <laughs> oh, he looks fine. He's Malcolm McDowell. <laughs> he had other things okay. to worry about. That's what I do if they remake this movie, just cast Malcolm McDowell again and make it even funnier just because he's all old and That's what now. I was saying. Like, just cast him again. It doesn't matter. Exactly. And it would be its own kind of even better trash, you know? Yeah. I don't think he's doing anything. If he needs a check. Yeah. How did Malcolm McDowell become the I just need a paycheck guy who just shows up in like 20 things a year now? I know, right? I'm like, dude, what happened to you? You can't make an entire career of incest and rape. That's true. You got to take but, a break at this point. You know, you just get knackered. But, I mean, he Right. Was... Sometimes you need consensual incest just to shake it up a little. <laughs> so anything else we want to mention about the cat people? I like Natasha Kinski in the film a lot. I do too. I think she looks the part. She just sort of owns it. I do too. There's a few bits where she almost sounds a little dubbed over. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that might have just been that, you know, her accent got in the way of the line reading and they went back over it again. I like, especially in the last scene. But then again, I wonder if maybe that was just done for the effect in the last scene. They did have some bad dubbing in the movie itself, though, too. Right. And that might have just been like, you know, 80s and they didn't have a timed right or whatnot. Either that or the director was really high and just didn't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is Paul Schrader. Because there was a point wherein he refused to come out of his trailer that day and just got high in his trailer. <laughs> we lost Paul. a whole day of filming and he was like, I'm just going to go get high. Yes, it's the uh, Sam Peckinpah School of Filmmaking. <laughs> Peckinpah was one of those ones that he was actually a better director when he had a few in him. Really don't want to advertise the fact that you tend to do all your best work when you're drunk or coked up. It's not a very good example to set to the kids. But then again, when you watch his films, they feel like films that were done in a drunk-fueled rage, because that's basically what the films are, are characters in drunk-fueled rages. Uh, mm -hmm. So, I mean, it fits what well, I get that making. with cat people as well. I think there are some moments in the film that are very, very trippy, and I think it works. It feels like the product of a guy who came out of the drug-addled sex culture of the 70s. The trippy, new-age, drug-addled sex culture of the 70s. Yeah, kind of makes sense. Like, what was that book that was all about the film culture of the 70s? Easy, Easy Riders. Easy Riders, Raging Bulls. Yeah. That's a brilliant book. You should really read it if you haven't. I haven't yet, but, but basically my dad... just come out of it thinking all of the great filmmakers of that era were completely batshit insane. Well, I mean, that was that era. That was the 70s. I mean, we have, like, the massive cultural revolution that kind of, like, backfired and then descended into madness. An absolute anarchy of sorts. I ended up reading Down and Dirty Pictures, which was about the rise of independent film in Miramax in the 90s. You know, people like Tarantino and uh, Steven Soderbergh. And they were just nowhere near as interesting. They all come about being whiny and self-absorbed. They were nowhere near as crazy as the 70s. And I think we missed some I know, in the 70s, it was like our entire cultural identity has collapsed and we're rebuilding it from the bottom up by experimenting in as vastly wild of directions as we can. Literally everything that was done in the 70s was done to the furthest extreme. Like anyone had like an idea of how to be different, they then did to the extreme. 
look at John Waters, you know. <laughs> uh, it was a time where everyone was trying to figure out themselves, and they ended up pushing too far, and then by the time he got to the 80s, everyone kind of pulled back and it fell into conservatism again because there was the drunk hangover as the follow-up to the 70s. Mm -hmm. Everyone kind of woke up and then realized the AIDS and addiction and all that stuff, and then like got freaked out and pulled back and became conservative again. And then the 90s was all about how instead of having that cultural collapse, it was all just about the whiny kids who were tired of their conservative parents. So, yeah, it's you can see how that is not nearly as interesting as the 70s of just everyone literally falling to pieces and experimenting like hell to just try to figure out where they want to go in life. Well, I think by that measure, Cat People fits in way more of the 70s ideals of film than the 80s. This was pre-AIDS. Right. Well, so there's our open sexuality and right. fear around that. There is a fear element, but it's really done in a different way than you would see later on in films in the 80s and 90s. It's a product of a filmmaker from the 70s. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Very much still having those ideals. All the cokes that goes with it. And uh, one thing I wanted to mention is the novelization by Gary Brandner, the author of The Howling, who is <clears> a... <throat> uh, the Howling is a great movie because it doesn't follow his book which is why he was angry and made sure all the other sequels followed his books, which explains the sequels. Very yeah. rapey, very women are meek and like to be dominated by men. Very, mm -hmm. let's just follow as much sex as we can. And the thing is, this was based on Alan Ormsby's script as opposed to the Paul Schrader rewrite. And I can see why Paul Schrader rewrote the script, because this one sucks. And it's like following it scene by scene by scene is just not nearly as well written and mm -hmm. really just stupid and bland and boring and... I'm glad it went through the rewrite. And I still, mm -hmm. I, I've read only the first half of the novelization, so I can't tell you. And I, you could make it through the rest? It was just so boring and so <laughs> stupid, and just Gary Brandner is an ass of a writer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I wanted to just kind of at least keep skimming forward to just see if there's any differences in how it ends. But I mean, it actually has the prequel scene, instead of being in Africa, happens in Europe. And it's about how people would actually tie up their children to feed to the cat people who live in the mountains. Mm -hmm. Then there's a scene set like 20 years earlier where it is the story of the parents and the relationship between the parents and how one of them is discovered as a cat person and that's what leads them to commit suicide. See, that would make sense because, yeah, they say that the parents commit suicide and I'm like, why? Right. It's the mother ends up getting seduced by the circus strongman who then discovers that she's a cat and escapes before she can kill him. And so the dad kills her and then kills himself. And the mm -hmm. children are left into foster care. So that happened. And that's about all I have to say about the novelization. <laughs> so any final thoughts on the remake of The Cat People? David Bowie. David Bowie. In conclusion, yeah. David Bowie. Yeah, I think that's a good way to end. I just really like that song. It's probably one of my favorite Bowie songs as well. And it's got this stupid sense and it works well. David Bowie and yeah, well, that's Paul Schrader. No, that's, that's about right, I think. I mean, I don't recommend it on the same level I would recommend the original, mainly because in no way I would recommend this film to some of my best friends who freak out at nudity really badly. I wouldn't recommend but, it to as wide of a range. Yeah. Like, yeah, Nate would love this movie. <laughs> I'm just imagining that now. <laughs> yeah, he would walk out like 10 minutes. <laughs> you didn't watch Black Swan with him. That was hilarious. I can imagine. <laughs> You found it, you Terrence Malick film, going to be rated R, and he's like, oh no, I'm going to have to check if it's got nudity in it. <laughs> <laughs> that is a dude who needs to be made to watch Annette Tool's boobs. Um... <laughs> oh, I shouldn't walk him, he is my best friend. 
I know. But it's so easy. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely not something I would recommend to as wide of a range as people as I would the original. I would recommend it to specific people with specific tastes. Oh, yeah. It's a great sort of trashy Friday night popcorn film if it's your sort of trashy film. If you're fine with boobs and sex and incest and Malcolm McDowell and cats and David Bowie and Paul Ryder and all of that crazy hot mess that this is... Then this is perfect. Exactly. Evie, any final thoughts from you? Um... Magic leopard transforming orgasm. I'm done. Oh my god, we forgot to ask Kaylee what she thought of remakes. Oh god, yeah, that's right, we forgot. We usually ask all of our guests, what do you think of remakes in general? Oh, I'm not averse to them. I tend to think nowadays what we've come to see with remakes is it's just people running out of ideas and wanting a quick cash in. But I'm not averse to them in theory, especially if it's a film that you could build on or if you do something different with it. If you're going to do a remake of a film, don't go for the classics. Go for a mediocre film that didn't work, because at least that way you're giving yourself some legroom to do something more interesting with it. I think if Cat People does work because he did do something different and because of the times have changed to the point where, hey, you could add boobs, because let's face it, that's what filmmakers do. <laughs> boobs and synth, that's all you need. Not always to this extent, but yeah. <laughs> boobs make everything better. Yes, I can't deny. I do think the poster is quite cool. It's about as subtle as a brick, but yeah. it's very... It's a really cool poster, but it lacks any kind of subtlety at all. Well, but that speaks to the film. Oh, yeah. So, typically we would ask the final question of if you had to pick one of these two films to watch once a year, every year for the rest of your life, which would it be? I think while we all like the remake, I think I know what we would all say. Don't make assumptions of me, dear sir. I do take umbrage at what you have said. Actually, I might pick the remake. You would too, wouldn't you? The original is a great movie, but the remake is, there's so much more going on and it's so gloriously trashy. That's the thing is, it's like, I make the joke, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't know, I love them both equally for totally different reasons, because... That's my original, problem as well. Yeah, it's like, the original is so complex, and it has all of these, like, themes that they're really trying to get across about things that they can't say. And the remake is just, oh my god, it's just, it's so cheesy. And I love it. The original is the film I share, the remake is the film I hoard. Yeah. <laughs> The remake, I'm like, I just want to revel in how, like, ridiculous it is. And it, it lets me do that. It's not going to judge me for the fact that, how dare you? It's like, no, no, go ahead. Yeah. I like it when a film commits to just going all out. And as much as I love the original, I really do. If I was going to pick one film to watch once a year with the right crowd of people and with the right percentage of alcohol, it would have to be the remake. It's just the perfect trashy film. If we could find yeah. a way to put the David Bowie in the original, that would probably complicate my argument somewhat. <laughs> I could probably throw it in there somewhere for you. Excellent. You know what? We should do a, a cut of the original film for Nate, where we, it's the original film, but then replace the pool sequence with the Inedo 201, just to, like, <laughs> catch him completely off guard. Make him just cry. Just splice in a frame at a time, see how long it takes him to notice. Yeah, like the penis <laughs> in Fight Club. <laughs> oh, I wonder if he's seen that. I'll find out. I'll make a watch it eventually. Maybe that can be some sort of, like, revenge for something. Hey, I've been to church with that man. I feel like I should get some sort of payback. Yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say I'm going to go with the remake because, like, I love these beautiful, complex movies. But, I mean, for instance, I've seen the movie Irreversible, and it is a really amazing movie. I've only seen it once, and I've owned it for years, and I haven't watched it for years because, oh, my God, it is a heavy, heavy movie. I really Meanwhile, don't blame you for only watching that once. <laughs> yeah, it's one hell of a movie. 
but I've only watched it once, whereas I've owned SWAT and I've watched it numerous times because I revel in how silly it is. The remake is just an easier watch. It's just more fun. It's not as complex, but at the same time, it's not as complex. I mean, the original film, I would argue, is a better made movie, Mm -hmm. but the remake is more entertaining. Exactly. Not exactly in a bad way. I mean, it knows what it is and everything it's doing is intentional. So it's not like accidentally campy. It is very much the film that they wanted to make and it came out the way they wanted it to. I can't help but admire them for that as well. They've just decided we're going to make something that's batshit and they did. They stuck to their guns on it. There are a couple moments where it falters because they're trying to sort of either pay homage to the original or it's because something they've had mandated or whatever. But overall, Paul Schrader stuck to what he wanted, which was Simpson tits and he did it. And I salute the man. Yes. Mm -hmm. Though it would have been interesting to have like an homage to Curse of the Cat People where she forms an imaginary friend of her brother after he's dead. And he always has his shirt off. (laughs) Yes. But yeah, so I'm actually kind of surprised and impressed that we all recommended the remake. (laughs) I mean, but again, the original is what I would recommend to people. But in terms of what I would like to watch more and more, it would be the remake. It's one of those odd instances of they're both great movies, but in such different ways that one of them I would share and the other one I would just keep to myself. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. I I mean, I would definitely recommend the original to some of my friends. The original is what I'd watch in public. The remake is what I'd watch in private. (laughs) I I would probably do a midnight screening of Cat People. They did a midnight screening of Flash Gordon here last night that I was going to go to and I never did. But I feel like this would fit right in with the sort of the midnight film things that we have here. Yeah. Yes. Especially with booze. Like, if I was, like, slightly tanked while watching this in a crowd of people... Oh, God, yes. Very, Bring the fun flask. The Bring thing. the fun flask. Well, then, <laughs> then you'd be in the Paul Schrader state of mind. Maybe that was his intention all along. So, in conclusion, Superman's mom's boobs. Woo! <laughs> Let's give a hand for the boobs. All right. Thank you for joining us, Kaylee. <laughs> no problem. I had a great time. This was an absolute hoot. <laughs> Good luck trying to edit all the stuff into me making sense. We'll have to have you back for the I Walked with a Zombie remake when we get to that. They did a remake of that? They did a remake that was supposed to be a third Tales from the Crypt film that was supposed to come out in theaters but ended up sitting on a shelf for four years before it came out straight to video. Oh, I'm totally fucking watching that. Yes. (laughs) It was called Tales from the Crypt Presents Ritual, a remake of I Walked with a Zombie. Totally watching that. Yes. Oh my god, you guys, you don't even know. So we'll have to cover that at some point. Anyways, thank you again for joining us. Thanks for having me. Continue looking forward to all your posts. I love reading your reviews. They're very fun. Oh, thank you very much. I'm glad someone likes them. Even when I disagree with you, like on Divergent. (laughs) Oh, I look forward to hearing your thoughts on that one. I I keep forgetting to write them down. I keep running out of time. But yeah, matched. Oh, God. (laughs) My review for that should be up tomorrow. Okay. I think I'm just not going to finish that one. And I did pick up the third book. In case you're in, I'm doing the selection by Kira Cass next, which is The Bachelor meets The Hunger Games. Apparently it's not. It's just really bad. Wait, wait, wait. So I'm sorry, but like The Bachelor? Basically what happens is... No. Just no. No. I would just quite like to read a dystopian young adult novel that does the concept well, because they all have these really gimmicky concepts and don't work. Right? So anyways, thank you again for joining us. Thanks for having me. Good night, Evie. I'm gonna go eat more cheese. I mean, what? So am I. <laughs> to read show notes for this and every one of our episodes, please visit IHateLoveRemakes.com. The comment sections are open, so let us know what you think about the films discussed. 
I Hate Love Remakes is in no way affiliated with the copyright holders of the films discussed. All rights are reserved and no infringement is intended. I Hate Love Remakes is a Made of Fail production. Madeoffail.net. We were unpopular before it was cool. my friends have this fear that the only way that Shia LaBeouf can act is he runs into a room and goes no 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 and then runs out again and that's all he does see but uh, that's why I like Shia LaBeouf is because that's all he does and that's all he's <laughs> he been doing even Stevens in my mind I know but I loved him on even Stevens so the fact that he's still doing the even Stevens shtick is fine by me <laughs> <laughs> I gotta tell you I think I'm going to edit a third episode of just all of our tangents <laughs> I think that would be a great episode. I think some of my best stuff would be on that episode. We've got like a half hour to 40 minutes worth of just nothing but tangents. Well, because, I mean, how much of that was us just being like, I don't want to talk about cat people? <laughs> Apparently he does a lot of voiceover work in video games, and he was in a music video recently by Chip, which is really, really strange. But I think you would really like it, Noel. He just sort of stands there and then, like, shakes shoulders occasionally with background. That was Terrence Stamp. Like... Was that Terrence Stamp? I thought... Yeah, I just saw that video. Yeah. Oh, why am I confusing those two? They're two totally different people. Well, they, they've both kind of grown into the point where they're being cast in a lot of the same movies. Like, Terrence Stamp is another one of those, give me a check and I'll be in 20 things a year. And they get cast in a lot of the same stuff, but they are completely different actors. Mm-hmm. Okay, that could be my stupid, okay, that's not a woman moment. You can keep that in if you'd like, Noel. Your inner goddess is dying to get out, Noel. <laughs> my inner goddess, yes. That's another drinking game. Just drink every time that stupid inner goddess is mentioned. <laughs> I wonder if uh, Malcolm McDowell's inner goddess involves incestuous <laughs> rape. Um, uh, you know it does. I hope Anastasia's inner goddess is now just Malcolm McDowell. <laughs> Whenever he masturbates, he's incestuously raping his inner goddess. Uh, <laughs> We're all horrible people who are going to hell. Now I want to send you a Gary Brander book just to hear you yell about it. <laughs> They're so awful. Warning, this episode contains spoilers, coarse language... Malcolm McDowell and Implied Incest. Wait, did I watch Caligula? Caligula joke! Yeah!